wanted us to take a few weeks to talk about what Jesus had to say. He personally had to say to his disciples about the subject of prayer. And we're going to look at, in these few verses between verse 5 and verse 13 of chapter 6 of Matthew, three things that I think Jesus was instructing his disciples about. First of all, he was giving them an invitation. He was inviting them into prayer. And then second of all, he was teaching them about the inversion of prayer. To invert something means if it's backwards, you straighten it out so it's going forward. If it's upside down, you make it right side up. It's to invert, to turn things around. And so... When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he was part of what he was doing was telling them there is a way to take the stuff that's upside down and backwards in this world and in your life and make it right. And prayer is the key to that. And then he talked to them about, how, about the invasion of prayer and how prayer is the way that we partner with God and uh, wade into spiritual territory where the enemy has tried to usurp God's dominion there and restore the kingdom, of, uh, kingdom presence there and the will and, and reign of our God in those circumstances, conditions, and lives. And so that's what, where we're headed uh, and uh, today we're going to talk about the first of those things that Jesus was inviting, an invitation. He was inviting his disciples to pray. Verse 5, chapter 6, Matthew. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Meaning... Whatever acclaim, whatever notoriety, whatever, um, you know, they're getting out of that attempt to be seen as spiritual. Such powerful prayers. Whatever they get out of that, that's what they get. That's their reward. It isn't cutting any mustard with me. It's not making any difference as far as I'm concerned. Verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, the Bible, or the New Testament of the Bible, has what we call four Gospels. The first four books of the New Testament we refer to as the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we call them the Gospels because they contain the good news. Now, they're not the only books in the Bible that contain the good news about the Savior. But they are the four that record his life's um, the, the process of his life and ministry, the living out of the gospel among us uh, as God was uh, in flesh among us. So we, we call those the gospels. 
Now, they don't, they don't repeat the same things. They'll talk about the same events in Jesus' life often, but from a little different vantage point, a little different perspective. And so talk about 3D. We, we have a 4D uh, view of the life and ministry of Jesus through these four uh, gospel writers that the Holy Spirit enabled to uh, give us the scripture. And so the, Luke's account of this same um, event where Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray gives us a little piece of information that Matthew does not. And I want, it's so important before we go any further, I just need to remind or tell you about that, inform you. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it tells how this set up or what caused this. Because I think a lot of us, when it comes to thinking about, and you'll notice we've just read what is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. And uh, it's hard to miss uh, in, if you're anywhere close to anybody uh, Christian in this world. It's hard to miss encountering these words. But we just read them in this passage. But I think some of us imagine that Jesus got his disciples. Here's how it went. We got Jesus got his disciples together. And he says, look, guys, prayer is an important thing. I'm going to show you how to do it. This is what you say. But I want you to notice, first of all, in what we just read, he did not say, say these words. He said, in this manner, like this. He was giving them not a ritualistic prayer, not a scripted prayer. He was giving them an outline of prayer. This is how you do it. And that's the key. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Luke tells us that how it really went down was that Jesus went off by himself to pray. Get this, the Son of God communing with the Father. And what that must have been like to observe. And it says that's what happened. The disciples watched him communing with the Father in prayer. And they waited until he was finished. And when he was done, they said, Can you show us how to do that? That is so different than what we've seen the scribes and Pharisees do. When we go to the temple or to the synagogue and we see people pray, it isn't like that. Show us how to do that. And so then Jesus did. He says, okay, in this manner, after this form, in this fashion, pray. And then he taught them. And so we are dealing with that context. And the reason that I really wanted to make sure you understood that is because the first thing we need to see here is that this invitation to prayer is toward something desirable. The disciples longed for it. They wanted this. Lord, teach us how to do what you do when you commune with the Father. I think for many of us, when we think of prayer, and myself included, look, we think first often about the duty of prayer or the dis discipline of prayer or the, you know, the fact that it's kind of hard. And the fact that it's kind of hard is because it's so important and the enemy of your soul likes to oppose that any way he can. I mean, if you figure it out every time you get ready to pray, every distraction in the book is coming your way. The phone's going to ring. You're going to remember something you forgot to do and blah, blah, blah. But that's not what prayer is supposed to be. It's not Yes, there's aspects of discipline. And if anything you're going to do well, you're going to do with some discipline. And yes, there are times when you have to press through the, the resistance. But prayer primarily 
is something that the Lord is inviting us into because it's so wonderful. This is such an important transition point in our thinking about prayer. We're not going to get any farther if we think of prayer as a have-to. It's not. It's a get-to. The disciples said, oh, please show us how to do that. Dear God, dear God, Spirit of the living God, move over us today, right here, right now in this place, and help us to discard every notion of have-to that's become associated in our thinking about our prayer lives. May it be, Lord, that there would be restored to us that sense of awe and wonder and anticipation and expectation and longing, desire to meet you in those times of intimate communion. It's not have to, it's get to. Yesterday, I got to perform a, a wedding in San Francisco for one of our, two of our former members, uh, uh, Ken and Cece, and uh, a number of our folks are still over there partying, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, uh, it was... I, I, I'm, I want to tell you this story about... Because it was an amazing thing. It was very, I, they, she walks up the aisle. They get to the front. I pray over them. And as soon as I say amen, the blue angels fly over. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. But I, I have to restrain myself. So anyway, I won't tell you that story. But anyway, when some months ago I received an invitation from Ken and Cece to their wedding. When I received that, now I was going to be officiating, so it was kind of, I better show up. But anyway. But nonetheless, when I received that invitation in the mail, here's not what I thought. I did not think, oh man, really? I got to go to this? No. I didn't think that. I got that and I go, fantastic. I'm so looking forward to that day. Jesus is extending you and me an invitation to prayer. And yet I know what it feels like sometimes to think, oh, really? Again? No. And we need the Lord to help reshape our thinking about it because what he says now is in the context of get to, not have to. Okay? The next thing that I want you to notice out of this passage that we read is that he was inviting us not only towards something desirable, but beyond religious exercise. Prayer is not a religious exercise. When you pray, he said, you shall not be like the hypocrites. That word hypocrites literally means pretenders. Don't be a pretender. Don't be a fake. And I'll be honest with you, there are times when I've come to the Lord in prayer and I've acted like a pretender, as though he doesn't really know my heart. You know, you ever done that? No, don't raise your hand, I know. Anyway, the Lord says, look, that's, that's religious exercise. You're there to fulfill a religious obligation. I get it, and it's pretending. Let's don't do that. Let's don't bother with that. That's not prayer. He said, when you pray, don't pray like a pretender standing in the synagogue or the corners of the street that they may be seen by men. That's not what it's about. Beyond pretense, where I'm trying to impress God or to impress others. Look, I, in my life, I do a lot of public praying. I have to be careful that I do not allow my public praying 
to be pretense where I'm trying to either impress God or the people who are listening to me. And I work hard at that. I say, God, hell, I, you know, I honestly, I think about it a lot. Lord, I want my praying, whether it's private in the secret place or in public, I always want it to be relational, now, true, honest, sincere. Not something for pretense, not something to impress. You know, uh, years ago, Dave and I uh, were at a, we, we were really young. I was, I, I don't, I was 16. <laughs> and I, uh, so what do I know about anything? But anyway, I was 16. We were in a band together and we had played at a Christian retreat. And there was a young girl there who gave her life to Jesus that weekend. And when we were getting ready to leave, and uh, we said, let's, let's get uh, some of these folks who just met the Lord together and, and pray. So we did. And this girl, newly minted follower of Christ, very first prayer out of her mouth, very first, well, I, very first public prayer anyway. We were holding hands there, and she starts this way. She goes, dear Mr. Jesus. Now, I wouldn't have started my prayer that way, but that was so moving to me to hear her sincerely, honestly, out of the context of her own life, just talking to God, not trying to impress her or you know, impress him or impress us, just talk to God. And, and the Lord says, let's move beyond pretense, beyond the religious exercise of pretending. Then in verse 7 it says, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions. Vain means empty. Don't just, you know, don't just use empty phraseology. Can I tell you, the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father that begins in verse 9 in this passage is often used in a vain, repetitious way. It doesn't mean that it shouldn't be prayed and, and that it can't be prayed in a, a genuine way. But often, you know, come on, you know, people will say this prayer or read from other, some other script or prayer book and all it is is empty repetition. Jesus said, don't bother with that. Don't do that. He said, the heathen think that's how you pray. People who don't really know me. People who don't really have a relationship with, with me, that's how they pray. Don't pray that way. Ritual. Ritualistic. Ritual is a required ceremony. Don't pray that way. That's not prayer. He says, for they think they will be heard with their, for their many words. Another thing that we get scrambled up in our thinking of prayer, about prayer sometimes is that it's the quantity that matters. Well, if I pray longer, that's better. If I use more words, if I use bigger words, if I use religious words, that's better. Quantity is better. That, that, no, come on. Jesus said, they think, people who don't really know me, they think they're scoring points with me by more. Can I just tell you, Jesus was saying five minutes or five hours the time doesn't matter. What matters is what's happening in those five minutes or those five hours. That's what matters. It's not the quantity. Look, I, look I'm being honest with you here. There are times when I'm praying and I'll just kind of go like, like that, check my watch, and I'm thinking a half hour's gone by, it's been five minutes, and I'm thinking, oh man, I'm going to slog it through here another 
however, oh, that has no place in our prayer life. It's meaningless to God. What matters is uh, what's happening in those moments together. So it's not quantity-based. And then in verse 8, he says, Therefore, don't be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. And uh, often, people get this idea that prayer is about needs, that it's need-focused, that prayer is me asking God to do things for me that I need Him to do, or for other people that have needs. And that that's what prayer is. The Lord says, I already know what you need. And implied in that is a God who loves me enough to know what I need is certainly already involved in meeting that need. He said, so, look, I, I have lists of people that I pray for. That's the only way I could... Uh, stay on target with the things that the Lord has asked me to pray for in people's lives. I have lists of people. And when I pray for them, I pray for the needs in their lives. So I'm not saying that that's inappropriate in prayer. I'm just saying that it can't be all that prayer is. And it certainly doesn't define prayer. He says, if it's, it's not about needs, because that's how we think. We think, I better inform God that, you know, Aunt Susie has cancer. I already know what you need, he says. Let's don't, let's don't uh, conceive of this precious time we have together as you needing to either inform me or motivate me to do something. That's the way the heathen pray, he says. People who don't know me, people who don't understand my heart. That's how they pray. Don't you pray that way? So, he invites them to move beyond religious exercise of pretense, ritual, quantity-based, or need-focused praying. And then we get to the good stuff. He says prayer is about relationship. He's inviting us into relationship. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. He doesn't need to come there. He's waiting for you there. He is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He's inviting us into relationship. And what is relationship without intimacy? Now Dave and I are friends and we've been friends before we, before we were conscious. <laughs> we were... We were, in the, we were in the nursery at church together. That's how far back we go. And so he and I have a relationship, a friendship, and there is an intimacy about that. Don't get me wrong now, okay? Don't misunderstand, but there is an intimacy that's involved in that kind of relationship. My wife and I have a relationship, and there's an intimacy involved there, too, of a different order and a different kind. But intimacy is always a part of any vital or valuable relationship, Right? And what is intimacy? God is inviting us through prayer into intimacy. It's three things. Intimacy is to know, to be known, and to partner together. Those are three aspects of what intimacy is about. And the Lord says, look, forget all the rest of this religious stuff. I want relationship with you. Come meet me in that private, secret place. Know me and experience what it's like to know how much I know you. 
The longing of every human being, the deepest longing of every human being, aside from being restored to right relationship with their maker, is to know that somebody knows them to their core. You all long for that. Where you don't have to pretend to be somebody you're not. Where you're fully known, fully accepted, and loved for who you are. No one does that like God. To know him, to be known by him, and then to partner with him. Look, you don't have to work at it. When you are in a relationship with somebody where there's that kind of intimacy going on where you're known and you're being known, you just find yourself cooperating together in things. And God invites us to be partners with him. And that's where we start praying for needs and we start interceding for other people because you can't help it. I start having his heart for things. I start thinking the way he thinks. I start valuing the things that he values. And I find myself praying in sync with his will and desires. It's a partnership. That's what happens in relationship. That's what he's inviting us into. You know, I, uh, gonna, I'm going to tell you a story, and then we're going to let you go. Um, about... I think about eight years ago, it was within the first couple of years after Sue and I moved here to Solano County and became the pastors of this church, um, Sue had gone down to uh, take care of her mother who was uh, dying of, of cancer. And we, you know that Sue, even today, still has to, and, or sometimes me as well, we have to go to Southern California. She's an only child and her elderly parents have needed our care. Her mom's passed on, but her dad's, you know, uh, also uh, moving towards the end of his life. And so we, we have to do that. So she had done that this weekend, that weekend, back, back about eight years ago. She was flying uh, home. It was a Sunday, and I needed to pick her up in Oakland. Now, it's a Sunday night. Now, I don't, this is not me whining here. It's just kind of telling it like it is. You know, by the end of uh, the week, when I get to Sunday night, um, after, like, like the, tonight, I've got, we had a service last night to this morning. I've got three more meetings today. When I'm finished about 9.30 today, can I just tell you, all I want to want to do is watch something violent on television and eat a gallon of ice cream. Okay? So I'm pretty much cooked at the end of Sunday night. And that's where I was when, when I was picking Sue up from the airport. I was on autopilot. You know, just, and we're driving home. I am, my mind is nowhere near anything spiritual. <laughs> and we got off the freeway in Vallejo, and um, I went down, if you know the area, down by the waterfront, because we have to go down that way to get to the Maryland Bridge, where we, Maryland Bridge, where we cross over to go home. So we passed by the, the Vallejo Ferry Terminal. When we got, in, when I was driving by the terminal, I heard the Lord speak to me. Now, I've been walking with the Lord long enough now that I know when he's talking to me. And he said this to me. He said, meet me on the ferry tomorrow. Now, I don't know what you would do with that if you got that. But I didn't know what he meant by that. I just, I knew for sure he said it, though. So from there, as we went down farther across the bridge and went home, I'm pondering it and I'm thinking about it. And I, I don't know what he means, but I, I decided, okay, well, I'd already planned to take Monday off. I'm, I'm going to get on that ferry. Next morning, I got up, got on my bike, drove across the bridge, uh, or rode across the bridge, rode over to the ferry terminal, bought a ticket. I had never been on the ferry. Uh, it was my first time. I didn't even know how to do it. I figured it out, though. <laughs> got onto the boat, uh, took a seat, and now I'm on the ferry. 
And I'm thinking, you told me to meet you on the ferry. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear any voices. I, it was just me and the other commuters. <laughs> I brought a book with me, so I whipped it out. I started reading. And then I started paying attention to the scenery that goes by. Because you can see things from the water. Man, you don't see any other way. The perspective on the Bay Area. I've lived here for a very long time. And, but I've really never seen those things. That way it was interesting to me. And I... I found myself kind of not thinking about the fact that I was there because the Lord said to be there. I was just enjoying the ride. Then we got to the ferry terminal in San Francisco, and I realized that I could get off there, but the ferry went on from there to Pier 39. I decided to stay on and go to the end point. So I got off at of Pier 39, kind of wandered around there with the rest of the tourists. Uh, I went out to the street there and walked on down to Fisherman's Wharf, took in the sights, Walked up further to Ghirardelli Square, hung out there for a while, got on the cable car there, took that down to Powell and Market, wandered around the Westfield Shopping Center there where Bloomingdale's, and don't ask me why, but anyways, at Bloomingdale's and, and uh, whatever, whatever else is there. Um, finished up there, just started walking down Market Street to, I didn't realize how far it was, but I started to walk down Mar Market Street to the ferry terminal, and I was going to catch the ferry from there to go home. Uh, I stopped. I'd had no timetable, so I just took my, just wandered and took my time, and I stepped into a Starbucks along the way, and you know that area, there's Starbucks about every 60 feet along there, so anyway, I stepped into one of those, and I was reading my book and had something to drink, and you're wondering where this story's going right about now. <laughs> I finished that up, I walked down to the ferry terminal, never been there before, so I wandered around in there, and I thought, wow, this is pretty cool how they've done this. I got on the boat, came home, got on my bike, I was riding home. Got on the Mare Island Bridge, halfway across, the Lord spoke to me again. And he said, Randy, he said, this is what I want prayer to be like in your life. It took me a minute to register. I'm a little thick. But then I understood. The way this whole day has been restorative to your soul, refreshing to you, recovering to you, the, just the pleasantness and the blessing of this day to you, that's what I intend prayer to be like for you. It was so contrary, I, I got to say, so contrary to much of what I th had thought to that moment about prayer. It really radically changed my understanding of prayer. And I'm, I'm saying, the, telling you that story and taking the time that it took to do so because of one word here. At the end of verse 6 where it says, Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I must have read this verse a hundred times if I've read it once. I could quote it from memory. But I'd never stopped until this week in preparation for this message to look behind that word that's translated as reward and just investigate what, it, uh, what the original word in Greek would be. Now reward is a perfectly desirable and honorable and correct way of translating the, the Greek word. But it's not the only way it could be translated. In fact, uh, perhaps even a better way to translate that Greek word is the word restore, restore. Your father who sees in secret will restore you openly. I'll bet there's some of us in this room that could use some restoring. God meant for prayer to be that. Not this big thing, this hard 
task that we make it out to be. So he meant for it to be communing with him in a way that restores your soul, your life. Don't get me wrong with this. I know that you, probably some of you are like me, where there are times when you're praying and you get drowsy and you kind of drop off, right? You don't need to raise your hand. I've, I've got it. Gotcha. Don't get me wrong about this. I'm not giving you license to snore through your prayer times. But can I tell you that I think it would be perfectly within God's desires for your life if from time to time when you needed it, you just took a nap in your prayer time. I don't think that would violate the purpose of prayer in one, for one moment. If that's what you need in that moment, where, what better place to get the rest and recovery that you need than in the presence of the Lord? You, you get what I'm saying. I'm not, you know. We need to understand prayer differently, and that's what Jesus was doing that day when he says, in this manner, This is recording number 11182 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, October 11, 2015. This is the first message in a series titled, In This Manner. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, An Invitation.